This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now. Hi, and welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is Todd DeVille, your host, and today we're going to be talking to Mark Bentham about the great shakeout that happened last week. Pretty exciting times here for emergency management. A couple things that are happening here is that next month we're going to be heading towards the IAEM conference, and we are going to be in the Titan HST booth. So look us up over there. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. If you want to stop over and say hi to me, say hi to Titan HST and uh, meet the guys and the gals from Titan HST. And we could talk and chat a little bit. I'd love to talk to you guys and hear your uh, ideas and views about how Ian Weekly's going and what you'd like to hear and see on the show. You know, this is, again, this is our community and we are doing this together. So join me over at the IEM conference and with the Titan HST booth. Looking forward to seeing you guys. in the news so the big topics that we're looking at now in the news as the recovery from the major disasters that have occurred here in the united states over the last couple of months obviously we have the recovery from hurricane irma hurricane harvey and hurricane maria over there in the atlantic and uh, the gulf states here puerto rico is still recovering from that Uh, there's still areas without power still areas without running water Uh, teams are in there doing their best and getting that recovered so you know keep an eye on that also uh, the recovery from the fires up in northern california has become the largest natural disaster in the united states history as far as finances and the number of uh, buildings destroyed and we're going to go into also the recovery from harvey you know that's still going on team rubicon is down there kicking some serious butt by the way team rubicon is in puerto rico as well they're sending 300 150 people up to Northern California and to Napa for the issues that happen up there. And also they're in Florida as well. That being said, they're doing a great job. Thank you, Team Rubicon, for uh, doing what you guys do. The debacle, if you will, of the recovery and the debris management that's happening from the Florida Keys. And keep an eye on that specific story because what we're seeing here is a lot of uh, fraud that's happening in the debris removal aspect of that. So that's one story that you're really going to want to track. So remind you to track the Hurricane Irma, specifically the Florida Keys disaster recovery. So just a little bit about disaster recovery. And for those of us that are in emergency management, I think we understand it. I think the people that are outside of the emergency management have a harder time grasping that recovery. I might be biased here, but recovery, I feel, is one of the longest and hardest sections of emergency management. We do response really, really well. We do, right? We get our guys and gals out there on the on the fire trucks and the police cars and the rescue boats plucking people out of uh, harm's way from the helicopters and whatnot do a great job on that and then after those helicopters go back to their hangars and the fire trucks go back to the barns and the police cars go back to normal patrol i think people forget about really what's going on in some of these areas specifically let's talk about the fact that you really don't hear a lot about Puerto Rico outside of the negative political stuff. But you don't hear what's going on over there as far as what the recovery is, how it's going, who's participating, and what the needs really are now and how much is going on. You have to really search for that stuff. 
So I think that's why with Irma, with the keys, that story has fallen under the uh, radar off of most uh, national media. It's not a, a, an exciting story to cover. Uh, people really don't follow that type of stuff outside of all those of us that are in policy side and the emergency management side, right? So I think as emergency managers, we really need to keep our eye on the ball here when it comes to recovery and that process and what it really means for those communities. Because at the end of the day, those are the people that we really need to help out. And I think this rec- the recovery portion of emergency response disaster management is uh, is key so just keep an eye on those stories and uh, more speaking about that we're going to be heading into uh, to earthquake so let's talk about great shakeout with mark bentham so i'm here with mark bentham from well i'll let him explain where he's from but basically he is with the group that started the great southern california shakeout and it's grown since then and i think it's a really great program and i'm really excited to have mark here and mark just go ahead and introduce yourself and exactly what do you do well hi todd yes i'm the director for communication education and outreach at the southern california earthquake center which is headquartered at the university of southern california We're a federally funded earth science research center. My job is to take that information, communicate it to the public and to emergency managers and businesses and really everyone who needs to deal with earthquake hazards and give them that information, not only about the science, but also what to do to reduce losses. And under that, I lead a California-based group called the Earthquake Country Alliance, which is a public-private grassroots partnership that we started back in 2003. And that group worked with many partners and with the U.S. Geological Survey in particular, who created the ShakeOut Earthquake Scenario for a large earthquake on the San Andreas Fault in Southern California. In 2008, that study was released. And The partners of the Earthquake Country Alliance took that to create the first shakeout earthquake drill, which was intended to be something for really everyone to participate in, not just uh, the typical players in a full-scale exercise, emergency managers and and others, but that really everyone, schools, people in their homes, nonprofits, church organizations, et cetera, could practice what to do in that big earthquake. And that was in 2008. Wow, and since then, you guys have grown tremendously. So you guys have gone nationwide, or I guess also uh, internationally too, because I know that they do it. They use some of the products up in, in Canada and, and whatnot. So congratulations on, on that. That's a really exciting. And I've used your products uh, for education, training for our community programs and for CERT and things like this. How do you guys put your programs together and how can somebody use those in their education programs? Well, that's right. ShakeOut was intended as a one-time event back in 2008. And what happened was, is people from Northern California initially said, we'd like to participate also. What's the date for next year? We kind of said, next year? <laughs> There's going to be a next year? <laughs> Wasn't in that, that plan originally. So started working on that. And uh, also, interestingly, that very first year, we were contacted by a high school principal on the South Island of New Zealand who was planning a community drill and had heard about ShakeOut. And that was the first other ShakeOut besides California. It was a very small region on the South Island of New Zealand. So we kind of learned that, oh, we could do this another place. And then the following year, the following year Guam and Nevada, and then British Columbia, Oregon, Central U.S., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to where now we have Official shakeout regions, either states or multi-state regions, 
and territories covering the entire U.S., as well as three provinces of Canada, New Zealand in 2012 and 2015, and likely again next year. They're, they're kind of on a every three-year uh, cycle, having full nationwide shakeout drills. Wow. They're happening all across Japan, kind of individual regions, and really other countries participating in various ways too. Mark, that's exciting. I mean, we're getting the word out, and and I mean, obviously, earthquake isn't just a Southern California issue. Last week, I interviewed uh, um, an author uh, about the book called Quakeland, and we discussed um, all over the place where, where earthquakes have occurred and plate tectonics and, and how the earth is continuously moving and that even, you know, in places like Maine and New York, uh, they have faults running underneath them and, and there's earthquakes set there too. So the stuff that you're doing is, is really important work that you guys are getting out there and I, I know what you guys are doing is going to save, uh, um, save a life. We had a little earthquake here and it was like a 5.8 and when the earthquake occurred, my son grabbed my daughter and went underneath the coffee table in the middle of our living room. We have a very uh, open space living room. My daughter's two, she just turned five, so this is a you know, three years ago, and he just did it instinctively. He didn't have to think about it. I'd have to tell him, and it was just great to see that occur. And I think it's because of the work that you guys are doing that kids know how to do that. So thank you for that work there. Well, that's great to hear. That really is the the outcome we hope to happen, that people are, by practicing how to protect themselves on a regular basis, develop that, you know, that muscle memory type of response, especially young people. When we first created ShakeOut, the goal was really based on social science research to get people talking about earthquakes. That, the research shows, is one of the factors that leads people to take preparedness actions, that they're talking with each other, one, called milling, that they're seeing other people take preparedness actions. Those are social cues that they're seeing, the cues of what other people are doing, that they're getting their supplies together, they're securing things in their homes, they won't fall during earthquakes, all that behavior. And that we wanted to provide resources, so you had asked earlier, all the resources and materials that are developed in a broad consensus and that everyone can use so that when people are looking for things, they're not seeing a whole lot of conflicting different types of guidance and information. Of course, to do that, you have to have the consensus of the community who who puts out that messaging in the first place. So that's one thing we work on t- uh, with the Earthquake Country Alliance and our shakeout coordinators around the country to make sure that we're all kind of singing the same song so that people aren't using information in a way that says, well, pe- they don't know what they're talking about. They say one thing, they say another. I don't have to do anything. I'm right. And so we really put a lot of effort into that, working with our federal partners, FEMA, of course, USGS, others, as well as the state, local social science researchers and others to make sure that that information is up-to-date, consensus as possible. And that includes what to do to protect yourself during an earthquake. So at shakeout.org, we have all these different resources and guidance for different types of participants, 23 different categories or so of uh, customized information. Uh, We have resources for people with disabilities and access and functional needs. We have a Spanish version of the website, shakeout.org slash espanol. We have other language resources as well. So we're really trying to make it available and as consistent and, and in different forms. We have videos, we have animations, we have documents, we have drill manuals. We have all these things that people have asked for or that we've put out that can help people plan a drill that they can take the time in their organization or in their home to practice earthquake safety. And in particular, practice how to be safe right during the earthquake, but also all the things you need to do to be prepared in advance so that you can then survive and then begin your recovery that much more quickly. 
Yeah, and I think a lot what this does as well is it takes the uh, the fear out of the planning portion of it. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is like when people don't act and freeze, for lack of a better term, it's not really what they're doing, but just for this case we'll call freezing, um, it's because they don't have the knowledge of what to do. And I think that when you practice... Um, these drills like the great shakeout drills and you look at the the videos and you see what to do that you're you're more likely to act and one of the things that we talked about you kind of mentioned the social cues is when you're in a room full of people people look to other people first before they do something Uh, in other words if there's a small if the earth starts to shake no one wants to be the first person to go underneath the desk but once the first person goes underneath the desk you see everybody kind of doing it and i think that if you're the person who's trained and understands it and you have practiced this, then it's no longer a, um, a silly thing to do. It, it's something that's right to do and, and everybody's expected to do it. So I think that what you guys are doing with the with the great shakeout drills is, is really important as far as getting people to be used to doing going underneath the desk and, and making it not seem odd. Well, and there's just a lot to what you've just said. So yes, there, there's people who are hesitant to decide whether they need to protect themselves. And that could be for many different reasons. One, they may not think it's going to be a big earthquake and why they need to get down on the ground. They haven't had to do that for many earthquakes in the past. Those earthquakes have been smaller or farther away to where the shakeout hasn't been intense enough so that everything in their space is falling on top of them or being thrown at them. And and that's part of the challenge we have and why we keep doing this and why we put out the messaging is to remind people that earthquakes can be quite serious, of course, and quite large and larger than you've experienced. And they can happen where you live or work, really, in nearly every state in the country. Even if it hasn't had an earthquake in thousands of years, doesn't mean it can't happen tomorrow. Some places have them more regularly, some less frequently. But also... They may happen when you're traveling and practicing, even if you're in a state that doesn't have frequent earthquakes, practicing every once in a while, if you do travel, especially uh, to earthquake country, will have you, when you are in California or, or by Memphis or in Alaska or, or Washington State or Oregon, or, or really it is nearly every state as the earthquake in Virginia in 2011, it was felt all over the East Coast. Mm-hmm demonstrates you can have these surprising locations that you need to know what to do or maybe you'll travel someplace where you do. And so why do we say drop, cover, hold on? I think it's something to, to kind of get out here and why that is recommended by so many different people across the spectrum, including, which I think is most important, the our urban search and rescue firefighters who go to earthquakes around the world and rescue people from collapsed buildings. They are still saying we are finding people who more likely put themselves in a spot that then provided a shelter, as they call it, a survivable void space, than those who did not. Many people they find were lucky and ended up in such a space. But what they say is if you can put yourself in such a potential space, like under a strong table or desk, that you're more likely to be then able to be rescued afterwards. And that being said, even though we see all of these horrific pictures and videos from Mexico and Nepal and other places where you see collapsed buildings, in nearly all those videos and pictures, if you look around, you're seeing buildings that haven't collapsed. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I think in Mexico, there's something like over 100 buildings now that have collapsed or around that number. And but there are hundreds of thousands that did not. And in each of those buildings, the potential for a television or a top heavy furniture or something hung on the wall or a potted plant, these types of things that could fall ceiling tiles and lights and such that can fall or be thrown in an earthquake. Uh, and hit people, hit their kids, hit their pets is really high and quite common. And that's, that's so you're you're not only protecting yourself for the potential for if the building were to have a collapse, partial collapse, but also and more so for all those things that are even more common that can happen in even smaller earthquakes. The guidance is to drop where you are so that you're not knocked down is another source of injuries, that you're immediately protecting yourself and making yourself as small a target as possible, that you're protecting your vital organs. You're on your hands and knees, and you immediately are putting at least one hand and arm up and over your head and neck. Not just on your neck, but your arm as high up uh, towards the top of your head as possible so that it is really blocking your head if something were to come at it. And, and then if you are nearby a table or desk, then to crawl to that for additional shelter and hold on to it in case it starts to move around. So that's the drop, cover, and hold on procedure that is recommended and is what we encourage people to practice during shakeout. That is really important to, to understand that and to do that, especially the hold on part, because you don't want to just jump under a table and have that table shake away from you, you know? And That's I, right. And I should, <laughs> add, I should add that we have uh, videos, we have animations, we have documents at earthquakecountry.org slash step five, S-T-E-P five. So the step five is of the seven steps to earthquake safety, what to do before, during, and after but you can find the whole set at earthquakecountry.org slash seven steps, all one word. Of course, linked from the homepage there too. And step five is what to do during the shaking. And we have a number of resources available from there for all different audiences about what to do to protect themselves during earthquakes. And we've been making something called the Earthquake Safety Video Series. So different videos showing what to do if they're you're in a room and there is a table nearby, or if there is not a table nearby, which in that case, you get next to an interior wall, you know, away from windows. And in that sense, you have that wall protecting you from one side so that you're limiting your exposure from things that might be flying to only the side that is away from the wall. And if things are falling, they might fall and, and kind of hit at, a, at an angle. Uh, so we have a lot of resources there, of course, on the shakeout.org website. And we are really encouraging people to participate in the shakeout earthquake drills. The International Shakeout Day, as we call it, is on October 19th this year in 2017. It's the third Thursday of October each year. That was set back in, in 2009 as the best time frame of the year for schools in particular, which are the largest participants in shakeout drills. It's not too early in their school year, but it's not towards the end where by, by practicing, then, then summer comes and then the students and teachers are all in new arrangements mm. uh, in that next year. So having it earlier in the year and, and then also having it on the, a weekday always, if we stayed with a particular date, then soon it would be on the weekend. Right. Uh, so it's always the third Thursday of October, October 19th this year. In 2018, it will be October 18th. So we asked people to participate there, not only for their own safety and, and preparedness, but 
with other people and to let other people know about their participation. So it gets back to that social science research. So we ask people to register that they're participating. That's how we um, have a count. Uh, currently, uh, if you go to shakeout.org and you can scroll down, you can see all the regions, states, multi-state regions and other countries that are participating. And we have the, uh, the current totals there always right now. For Thursday, October 19th, uh, the global total of participation is well over 18.9 million. Wow. Total for the year, 38.5 million with drills that have happened in other dates. For example, Utah, because their schools are out of session on that third Thursday of October each year, they have their drill in April, have over a million participants. And then other countries have drills that, for example, the Strange coincidence of the Mexico City earthquake that caused so much damage happened a few hours after Mexico City had had a big earthquake drill that they normally have that is commemorating the 1985 earthquake of September 19th. So they had just done an earthquake drill and then they had their earthquake. And I should say Mexico City, because of its unique nature and the type of earthquakes that typically cause damage there, which are farther away along the coast, but caused strong shaking in Mexico City because of the way that the ground beneath Mexico City will used to be a lake bed and, and it, it amplifies the shaking. And so they typically are able to have over a minute of warning from their early warning system that they have that detects an earthquake at the coast, sends an alarm to Mexico City. And so they do practice building evacuation as their procedure. This earthquake that happened on September 19th was much closer and that early warning system was less effective in that way. And people likely couldn't believe that just after doing an earthquake drill, that this alert they were getting was real. Right. So it's really complicated um, in, in that type of messaging in different environments. But even around the world, if you're in, especially if you're high up in a building, you're just not going to have time to get out. So, doing, so putting yourself under a table or desk is, is recommended. Basically, we're saying the message that we want to get out to everybody is duck cover, hold on, wait for the shaking to stop, and then evacuate if you need to, right? We don't, we're not recommending to just willy-nilly evacuate buildings. Right. You want to drop cover and hold on. And if you know you're in a particularly vulnerable building, and that's something you could figure out in advance, and if you have any sign of, of cracks in the walls or anything visible or... Certainly, of course, just as in any situation, if, if there seems to be a fire uh, underway, you definitely want to evacuate. If you're in a newer building, that could become maybe built since the mid-70s where building codes were greatly improved. That becomes something to uh, more of an option. If you don't have any indication that the building has suffered any structural damage, then evacuating may cause more issues, of, especially for people with disabilities or, or depending on you know who and who is there with you, than than not. And one issue often with evacuation is where are you evacuating to? Are you is there space outside the building, away from the building, that you can get far enough away that if things were falling off the building, even after the shaking stops, that you wouldn't be putting yourself in a dangerous location. So that's. That's the other reason why we, we recommend drop, cover, hold on rather than evacuation during shaking is that even when buildings don't collapse, facades, bricks, window glass, parapets, other features on the exterior of a building 
often do fall off. We saw this in videos from Mexico City and elsewhere. There's a picture I have in mind of a building from the Nepal earthquake where it was a brick building and the one side of the brick building basically fell off and was piled in the street. But you can look inside and you can see each living room where the TV and the, and the bookshelves and everything looked like nothing had happened. Like they weren't falling to the ground. They, so the building was still standing. But if you had rushed out during that shaking, you would have been crushed under a pile of bricks. Hmm. So it's really a challenging situation to have some sort of one-size-fits-all message. And drop, cover, hold on is, is something like that. But we do have a lot of different variations on the theme of protecting yourself, making yourself a smaller target, and holding on to where you are during the shaking. Listed and, and explained on earthquakecountry.org slash step five, S-D-E-P, the number five, including what to do. So, for example, different ways that you protect yourself in different situations include what to do if you're driving, what to do if you're in bed what to do if you're at a store, et cetera. And we have those explained. What to do if you're in a wheelchair, we actually call lock, cover and hold on, meaning <laughs> lock your wheels, cover your head and neck if possible, hold on. And, you know, earthquake safety for people with disabilities is just so much more complicated. And it really comes down to pre-planning, practicing with uh, your support team, those around you knowing what to do to, to assist you during an earthquake. You know, you don't want to see someone in a wheelchair and go grab them and pull them down under the table with you. That's not what the appropriate thing to do. Right. You, want, you know, if they're asking you and if you've discussed that with them or whatever their, that plan is, but it's, it all is basically under the theme of things are going to be falling in your environment. You need to protect yourself from those things and figuring out what the best way to do it is. Well, awesome. Let's take a quick break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about prevention. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. All right, welcome back from the break. Mark, so before we went on the break, I said we want to talk a little bit about uh, prevention. So I know that at my house, and I'll go back to that little earthquake we had, I'm, I'm crazy about putting that um, earthquake putty down. They get the museum, clear museum putty, so you really can't see it. it. drives my wife crazy because when she wants to dust and stuff like that, it's, it's it kind of gets in her way. She can't move things and she gets mad at me. But... During that little earthquake, everything that had the museum putty on it stayed. The only thing that broke was this vase that was there that fell off uh, off the shelf and, and broke. So the earthquake putty, it, uh, the museum putty, it, it did its job. So what kind of resources do you guys have for prevention and uh, preparedness, I should say? Preparedness can't prevent earthquakes, right? So preparedness for earthquakes. So our guidance is organized according to the seven steps to earthquake safety. And you can find that at earthquakecountry.org. That's the website of the Earthquake Country Alliance. And the seven steps to earthquake safety include four steps of what to do before an earthquake were to happen, two steps during the danger situation, what to do to protect yourself during shaking, and what to do in the immediate 
time afterwards where there may need to be uh, glass that's been broken, swept up, or gas lines turned off, fires put out, etc. But and then there's one step for recovery, and this and that's step seven. But the step one through four start with step one: secure your space. So it's what you were just talking about, Todd. It's securing items so they won't fall, won't be projectiles, won't cause further damage or injury. And that includes strapping top-heavy furniture to the walls, strapping water heaters, and there's appropriate ways to do that. And we have the instructions on, on the website. for. We have a list of something like 30 items, 30 different types of ways to secure things. It also includes putting uh, quake hold putty or museum wax under small objects, straps on furniture um, in addition to big screen TVs, computer monitors, microwaves, all the things that might fall and cause injury. And it's really important to understand that in a large earthquake, the entire ground for hundreds of square miles is shaking up and down and sideways. There is nothing in your home that's riding that bunking, bucking bronco <laughs> that can't be uh, <laughs> falling over or be, be literally being thrown. And, and really, it's kind of like the ground shifting that, and it appearing like some of those objects are being thrown, but it's really the ground that's shifting the other way, and the object is kind of being where it's at, but it's looking like it's coming right at you. Huh. So it gets very complicated right. <laughs> uh, what, what can really happen. But some people say, well, that top-heavy, you know, that armoire that you had or that desk, that, that credenza, whatever it is that they think is that piano, you know, if you have a, a high, one of those tall-type pianos, all these things that seem like, oh, they're too heavy, they're not going to be able to move. They really can, mm -hmm. and there are ways that you can secure these items. Kitchen cabinets, we think of you know, child-proofing cabinets where you put different types of latches that are available on the lower cabinets so that kids can't get into them. Well, for earthquakes, you want to secure the upper cabinets so that they don't have their contents thrown out all over the kitchen floor, which is important for many reasons in terms of preparedness. You don't obviously want those items hitting people, glass things coming out and hitting people, but also the, the mess that that is, all the broken glass, but also for food that you might have in your cupboards that uh, might be in glass containers, you know, um, jars and such that you would lose if it was broken all the, and yet you need after an earthquake. So there's all these different types of actions that are listed there. So that's what we call step one, secure your space secure things so they won't fall on you. Next step we say, step two, we, uh, we call plan to be safe. So this is kind of two main areas. It's having your communication plans and also uh, having a disaster plan for where you'll meet and for all the different activities that uh, you want to consider in a plan, the training that you want to take in advance so that you'll be a better resource for your family, for your community, whether it's cert training or simple you know, kind of CPR type training, that these things are, are really key. And having that known by those that you need to be coordinating with when a disaster happens, which might be your family, extended family, friends, coworkers, all these aspects are really important for employers to be considering, not just in the workplace, but also encouraging their employees to be prepared in these ways at home so that they're either able to stay at work if the earthquake happens while they're at work and perform vital functions that might be needed, 
not worrying as much about what's going on at home, or if the earthquakes happen and they're, and they're at home, that they're able to handle what needs to be handled there and then come into work uh, to handle what needs to be happened there. So uh, these are key things. So all that planning in advance, and those it's all really about just talking with each other. Step three, we say, is organize disaster supplies. So that's fairly obvious types of things that you need to have in it for any disaster and we have detailed information there. Step four, we called minimize financial hardship. And this really uh, handles three different areas that we recommend. One, that possible to be looking at the structure that you're in and what can be done to improve it, to do retrofitting, whether it's simple things or more comprehensive, be at least learning about what's needed and developing a plan and strategy for making that happen. Of course, earthquake insurance is another option for repairing any damage that happens. But of course, the less damage you have in the first place, the better. And then finally, a more low-cost option, making sure that you have organized your kind of important documents that you would need if you're not able to get into your home, for example, and having copies of those insurance, copies of prescriptions, really key when perhaps power is out for a long time and the internet maybe that and you need a prescription and you can't go to your pharmacy because they don't have or your pharmacy can't give it to you because the the online systems uh, are offline and no power and that you have a printed copy of prescriptions these types of documents organizing those in advance so those are kind of the way that we organize what to do to be prepared for earthquakes i know that on the on the uh, shakeout.org you have the earthquake game i think it's on there that's where i played it before where you have to get your little house ready for the earthquake at least that's where the link is there and i think the things like that that make it kind of fun for the family you know get the kids thinking about it and, and it's not as again we're not preparing in a scary way we're preparing in a fun way to see how who can quickly prepare their little apartment before the earthquake occurs. i think what you're referring to is our beat the quake game yes where you're, uh, you're you see a living room set up and there are a number of items that you can click on and select from a list of ways to uh, secure those items so they won't fall during earthquakes or, or there's also some fire aspects there so they won't be a fire hazard. And you have a limited amount of time. It's kind of a little bit of a contest to see how many you can do in that time period, uh, how many things you can secure correctly. So yes, you can find that at, on the shakeout.org website on each regions uh, in the lower right where it says play and share. And that's right. We do try to not have shakeout be something that's seen as as scary or or quite serious. We encourage people to really look at it as as a community organizing type of activity and to a certain degree have fun with it. Uh, we have people who make their own shirts and give prizes and gifts and hide things under people's desks so that when they, uh, in like a workplace environment, so when they go there, then they're finding candy bars or raffle tickets or maybe even movie tickets, uh, these types of things that really try to have the practice of earthquake safety being something that isn't scary, even though the actual earthquake will be, but that you're practicing when you're, in, you're calm and able to really figure out how to protect yourself and that much more ready when they actually happens. So before we let you go, we're coming close to the end here. I know that you guys have produced a movie that you guys are going to put out for, I guess, next year. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that and what your plans are with that uh, production? Yes. So this got started uh, 
for the 20th anniversary of the Northridge earthquake, which that earthquake happened in 1994, we did a number of interviews with people and about their experiences. And we really saw that those were just to be on our, our website, little clips, but we saw that there was some great stories of what people did to help each other and particularly. So we have put together with FEMA support and a number of other partners, uh, Simpson Strong Tie and the Hero and You Foundation, Safety Proof, State Farm, other partners helping us to create this video. This It's really a documentary, about 50 minutes long. And, and the focus of it is telling people's stories and having those people say what we really need to be doing to be safe. And it's really a fantastic project. We hope to have it be available publicly uh, in, in the spring 2018. It will have a set of lesson plans for a classroom education kit for high school students to be really seeing what can happen in a big earthquake. Most, uh, even in California, young people have not experienced a major earthquake. And so really understanding what can happen, why exercises like shakeout are key, and also encouraging participation in the formation of teen CERT programs. So it's a whole uh, program, and the documentary is called Quake Heroes, and uh, we will be, definitely be promoting it as something that people can participate in events where it will be shown and, and uh, perhaps at college campuses or community groups or uh, large companies or something that maybe a, a city or county emergency management agency might want to host a big event where people can watch the film and then sign up for cert and buy supplies and talk to scientists. So we're, we're ramping all this up as really the, towards the lead up to next year's shakeup. That's some great stuff, and I'm really excited about everything that you guys are doing. So thank you so much. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of, of you, um, you know, to get more information, and we're going to put, by the way, everybody, who, who uh, when we're talking about the websites, if you don't have your pencil with you, uh, we're going to put all that information down in the show notes so you'll be able to click those links uh, just right from, from the website, from ianweekly.com. So don't worry about that. But um, if you do have your pen and pencil, you could have it ready. So, Mark, how can people get a hold of you um, if they want more information? Well, you can go to the websites I've mentioned, shakeout.org, and look for your particular state uh, or multi-state region that you, uh, where you, you're located in. They'll have customized resources for you. And register to participate in Shakeout. While the third Thursday of October is the main date, you can have your Shakeout drill and register it uh, any day of the year. And earthquakecountry.org is really where we have the seven steps to earthquake safety and you can uh, follow those and we have a variety of resources about those. To reach out and contact more directly, you can email info at shakeout.org and that will get to me. Well, Mark, you're busy. Uh, you're getting ready for um, the shakeout for on 1019 and I, I know it's going to be an exciting day and a busy day for you. So thank you for taking time out of your day today to uh, talk about earthquakes and the great shakeout uh, with Ian Weekly. For those of you out there that are listening today, please take time and, and go to your iTunes and just tell us how we're doing. And, and if you have any ideas that you'd like to hear for, about what we're doing, you can go ahead and contact us at Ask Todd at the, on the emweekly.com website. Thank you guys so much and Marco, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Todd.